So we want to welcome you once more. The heart of it has not changed to intimately know Jesus Christ. And I feel that we are in a better position to know him better now that we have experienced what we have experienced, isn't it? You have realized that Jesus is... He's the only one who will be there. I get what I said. And we, we, we still want to passionately make him known. And that has become a great challenge for me personally. I hope it has become for you that our mandate does not change with lockdown. Amen. Amen. So I just want us to consider those things. I want to share a very simple thing this morning. And my discovery is that all things, word of God, are simple. God has never intended to make anything difficult for us. The Bible where we read last week, it says, and this is the love of God, to obey his commandments, his instructions. And it says, his will, his commandment is not burdensome. God has not made anything burdensome for people. The Bible says he created men righteous. But their evil scheming has turned out for their worse. So we are at the place at all times where God's will will prove sufficient for those who want to trust him. Amen. So today I just want to remind us a very simple idea about why we gather as churches and you know, the church has a mandate, as I said. The mandate of the church does not change. However, one of the saddest things that is happening with us as churches is we have become so mechanical, and if you are a member of this church, you will know, I'll always speak about this thing until either we hand over or you die or I die or what. But... God intends for the church to be a family because God is not a director. God is not a CEO. God is a father. And any father wants to have a functional family. And any father wants to ensure that despite his children disagree on certain matters. They agree on family values. Any father acknowledges that my children are not the same, but they are individually unique and special. And so children don't always treat each other the way they should. But the father's heart is that children must love one another. Are you following what I'm saying? So I want to read for us. Let's go to the book of Psalm 68. And we're reading from verse 1 to 6 with emphasis on verse 6. It says, Psalm 68 from verse 1 to verse 6. I'm reading from the NLT. It says, Rise up, O God, and let your enemies scatter. I'm sure many people who like the... Um, 
This gospel that we seem to be liking these days. You know the haters gospel? Can I ask you, stay away from the haters gospel. You know those things that I see some of us here posting on Facebook? Yeah, I'll be like this, and my haters will be like, what, what? Um, God is going to do this so that my haters this. That's not the gospel. You're not that kind of a person. That is what the Bible calls the pride of life, which is enmity towards God. The Bible says, you children of God are not of the world. Therefore, do not flaunt what the world flaunts. The world flaunts the lust of the eyes. The sexual immorality is so prevalent now that could everyone feels like if you have it, flaunt it. And the things you post are... They're shocking. Sometimes I want to unfollow some of, okay, the people that are, are, are putting those things are not here. <laughs> but as it is, if the heads fit, wear it again. But I get it to who get like the fat. We are not of this world. We are in this world. Are you following? But so we love this. Davidic Psalms where he's like kill my enemies let them uproot them let let them not have descendants we are past that we are in a new dispensation love your enemies and do good to those who ill treat you so this haters gospel you have nothing to flaunt especially if you are not fighting the right individual you should be fighting against. Your enemy, the devil. Anyway, that's not where I am. It says, let those who hate God run for their lives, blow them away like smoke, you can hear. Melt them like wax in a fire. Let the wicked perish in the presence of God, but let the godly rejoice. Let them be glad in God's presence. Those are, those are still New Testament. Let the godly rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And I'll say again, rejoice. Again. And it says, let them be glad in God's presence. In, the, in, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. Let them be filled with joy. Sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds, even if sometimes we are told not to sing. The Bible says we must sing loud. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Father to the fatherless. Defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. Now this is the part I want you to hear. God places the lonely in families. So if someone says, like my brother says, God sent me here. Sometimes as a church, you have to ask yourself, why? The verse tells us, God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy, but he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. God places the lonely in families. And you see, sometimes we, you and I don't even know our level, our type, and our extent of loneliness. 
We don't know why God, you see, in his mind, God has always wanted to deal with loneliness. Not only now. It was God's mind from the onset to never allow a human being to be lonely. God said of Adam, it is not good for a man to be alone. Lest he gravitates towards loneliness. I believe even if God put Eve first in the garden, he would have still said it is not good for the woman to be alone. Why? Because God is the God of unity. He's three in one. God is not lonely. He's Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And when you read in John chapter 17, when Jesus Christ prays, he prays against loneliness and aloneness. He says, Father, as you and I are one, I pray that they also may be one. And in this case, he's saying the church should be one. What does Genesis 3 tell us? It tells us that, and God decreed as he instituted marriage. Verse 25 tells us that now men and women were naked, but they were not ashamed, right? Why? Because the Bible has already told you. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cling to his wife. What does that mean? They shall become one flesh. What does one flesh mean? Oneness talks of their unity, unity in the body, unity in their sexuality. But the whole point is, it seems everything that God does with human beings is intended to bring them to a place of unity and one accord. What does Acts chapter 1 tells us? It says, and the church came together. Chapter 2 says, and now when they were all in one accord, the Holy Spirit came. What does the sum of the blessing of unity tells us? It is good and pleasant when brethren come together in unity. For there the Lord commands a blessing. Life forevermore. Are you there, saints? So, there are so many things in my view and obviously in your own view, if you have been analyzing, you would see that the enemy has worked very well over this COVID-19 period and phase to destroy family structures, to destroy unity. I have seen families who don't allow their children to visit them. So systematically, there are people who have died in hospitals alone. And long, you know that, right? There are people who've been in hospital for three months with no one visiting them. You do understand that's not God's intention when you read the Bible. Their loneliness is systematic. They are at the most vulnerable such that the enemy gets them easier. Because even the person who wants to repent, a person who wants to say forgive me to someone, a person who wants to give their lives to Jesus, this is not systematically, 
they are uprooted from a system that can draw them to the love of God. Right? You think that's what the world is doing. Go and check the church. Same thing. The church has allowed the worldly system to redictate to us the values we should live by. Am I saying we should not keep social distance? I'm not talking about those things. Those are smaller things. I'm talking about the fact that we are gathering here today. We will meet again next week without any of the people here calling any of the ones they saw today. I'm talking about the fact that your own family members can be living three streets away and because they were somehow, according to you, they had behaved recklessly. You're not sure whether they are COVID positive or not. But for fear of your own life, can I say something that I found profoundly sad? We stand here all the time. We talk about how Christ defeated death. We talk about how in God we are willing to live and die for him. We talk about death as something we don't fear. Hold the thought. Politicians. Mandela even made a, a, a declaration in his speech about the ideals he is willing to live for, if need be, to die for. And can I tell you something interesting about politicians? They die for those ideals. Co politicians are dying each day for the ideals of corruption. They kill one another. They kill others. They are willing to die to maintain their political power and prowess. Whatever ideals that they uphold, they are willing to die for. And they died for them. Noble or ignoble those ideals may be. The church, on the other hand, would rather open the drain and let the value of love go down the drain. The value of unity, the value of affection, the, way, the value of compassion, the value of one accordedness, the value of saying, if anyone touches my sister, if anyone touches my brother, they have touched me, we are the board. If one hurts, the other one hurts. Ah, now you'll bury your mother alone. Nobody will send you in. The best thing that Mazalan can do now is to respond on the WhatsApp group. That in my mind, I'm not going to read because I'm hurting. Because I'm in too many WhatsApp groups that sometimes you, you post, you know, again. I have 250 messages. I'm not going to read all of them. I'd read a message that is directed to me that says to me, my brother, my sister, 
I want you to know that through this pain that you are undergoing, my love is there. And if anything at all, I'm sending this gift if you need to cover. If you need anything, talk to me. We are, I'd respond to that. It's easy to read something like that when you are in pain. Are you following? But that's not where we are now. So in essence, God's intention to put the lonely into families is failing. Because in the supposed families, the lonely are even lonelier. I can tell you you hear what I'm saying. But I want you to hear what... Let's read uh, the famous Romans chapter 12, verse 2. <coughs> now it says, Don't, do not conform again to the standards of this world. I want to read it in the NLT. It says, do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You will know if God changes how you, you think. So, I'm not advocating for recklessness. Ne? I'm advocating for biblical values in the face of a well system that is eroding biblical values. Our political system is destroying everything godly. From morality to authority to values. And guess how the church is? The church is just dancing. We forget that eventually the, where the system of the world is going eventually the people that are it's intended to persecute is the church according to the book of revelation because every law legislated against god's will will be enacted to the deprivation and persecution of those who adhere and abide by that law are you following Think of any law, sexual immorality law. Can you think of you? That the, the, the has been constitutionalized. Think of anything, not just here in South Africa. That thing, you're going to face it one day, isn't it? Every other authority thing, you're going to face it one day, aren't you? But here's the thing. It is one thing to face the wickedness of the world with a strong conviction about your own stance. It's another to face it when you have no stance. Can I say, 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 say something that is also very peculiar to us as Christians? Now we fear everything that the world fears, right? It's okay, it's not okay. But let me ask you. 
Do you think the people, the children of God, that work so hard to preserve their lives now, are going to do anything better with their lives post-COVID other than what they have been doing already? If people are like, hey, I don't want to die. Okay, we have not passed the fact that you shouldn't be fearing death because according to the Bible, you have victory over it. At least even if you die, my assumption is the risk that you would have taken to die would have been God glorifying. It would have been something that you would have been willing to die for, at least I assume. Ne? So let's assume now at this point that you don't have anything worth dying for. Right? Now you are like, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't know. No problem. My question is, after you have preserved your life, supposing you will be able to preserve it, because even at home you will still die. Even when you don't go to God's things, wherever you get to go, you'll still die. Because every one of us here talking preservation, self-preservation, no one is tied at home now. You go to work, right? You get into traffic. You go to malls, right? You go to all these other things that serve self, right? Even in those things, you can still die. So suppose... You can preserve your life in those things. After you have preserved your life and we don't need masks anymore, we don't need social, does it mean all this time you preserved your life, you're going to serve God better after that? So my question, saints, is when we allow the world to continually devalue our system, our godly values and to give us its own values are we going to be able to stand against the world one day because now the bible says don't conform to their standards i mean let, let me lend it this way the world has a program it is driven by the principles of dark forces. And that program, it's a program against our program. Because now, we battle not... But, according to the Bible, in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the people that are not saved, they are blinded by the enemy to further his agenda, his program, right? So, what the world can do, however best it can be, is going to create problems for the church eventually. Because that's the agenda. I don't know if you understand. I'm not talking whether government is doing it. I'm not talking about government. I'm talking about the fact that the world system is run by the devil. And the devil does not have your goodwill in his plan. So eventually, his system is intended to work against you and destroy you. Are you there? So my question is, how come 
runa, we don't have our own solutions to the current problems. How come sinners are buying land, Bazalana are not? Are we not realizing that the food is going to be a problem? It's a fact. Deny it all you want, food is going to be a problem. Water is going to be a problem. Resources are going to be a problem. The world will centralize the control of these things. So if you get to that place where you can't buy or sell, and you don't even have a land to plant, what are you hoping for? We don't have our own financial system. We don't have any system that is prophetic in view. That looks into the future and prepares for the future. Because if you read everything, the world system has, is already 100, 200 years ahead of us. They are already planning this. Planning. You just, ah, they said this in the 90s. It's happening now. They, my friend, they've been playing for, planning these things long. We are the only people who have the advantage when the Holy Spirit comes, he will show you what is to come. And yet people who have the advantage of knowing what is to come have no plan. Either they don't believe, either they don't hear the Holy Spirit, or other, they are just negligent and careless. So I'm saying to us, after, I guess we are back now. Let's change the way we think. Let's stop attending church, playing church. Let's become more strategic. Let's think harder. Let's pray harder. Let's ask God, show us what the enemy is doing. And show us counter strategies going forward. How are you okay? Let's stand up. Jesus is Lord, isn't it? Question. Where is Jesus Lord? And what are the conditions of his Lordship? If Jesus is just Lord to you, the Bible says he's the King of Kings, right? He sustains everything. So Jesus is not restricted to you. Jesus sustains everything. But Jesus wants you to recognize his lordship even upon the enemies that you face. We will never defeat the enemy unless we believe the authority that we have in the name of Jesus supersedes that of the enemy. Unless we truly believe that greater is he that is in us than the one that is in the world, the world will always put us on a back foot. And can I tell you, the world has, the world has already seen that we can put the church on a back foot. We can close them down if we want to. We can open them with restrictions if we want to. They don't have a response factor. We don't have a legal stance to say we claim healing but we have not produced any record 
to prove to any government in the world that Jesus heals these things. And no church so far has produced a case for that. Don't you think that's a bit weird? That we have not produced a case to say we are willing to be opened because here's evidence. When people come here, they get healed of anything, including anything and everything. We have not produced the case, but the Bible says we do have a case to produce. So the world has a leg to stand on. No, 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 no. You guys have not proven any case. You guys have not shown any solution. You guys have not shown any initiative. Why do we need you? They had declared us a non-essential service. Doesn't that bother you when you are sitting alone? That? Hey, could really? I'm a non-essential service to the sinners who don't have a solution to what is happening. And yet, I claim that my God controls everything. There's a problem. I must find a solution to the things, a reality, let me put it this way. I must find a reality to the revelation of the things that are in the Bible and make it my own so that I have a case. So I just want us to pray. Pray that God will give you a leg to stand on. You, you do understand what I mean by that, right? A, a, a leg of godly authority and revelation to stand on so that you, you are not swayed to and fro. Happiness. So let's pray into that. I don't know what else God is staring in your heart, but Heavenly Father, sure, you are God who reigns and rules. We declare that you rule over the affairs of men because by the power of your word, you sustain all things. You have created all things, and for your own pleasure and good, they exist. Now, Lord, we are confronted with an ever-increasing wicked world that seeks to undermine who you are and who you have made the church to be. The church has since been lulled off into just simply abiding by what is happening. Lord, we know your way. We're not advocating for rebellion against authority. We are advocating, Lord, for the true genuine experience of spiritual power and authority where the church becomes the solution to the dying and confused world, Lord. Where we are not just those who abide by the rules that are set forth without providing an alternative. So, Lord, I pray that you draw me as I get closer, draw me to that place of authentic experience of God's power that brings solution as we read in the Bible, Lord. Today we stand like Gideon. We say, where are the signs and wonders that we have read and heard our predecessors talk about? 
even those who have declared themselves prophetic, those who have declared themselves signs and wonders people, have not produced evidence to the end that God reigns. You are great above all things. Father, forgive us for misrepresenting you this way in our own personal lives, even in the place where other people have been so needy and so desperate. Jesus has touched the lepers. Jesus has touched the prostitutes. Jesus has touched the destitute. But the church has left even those ones to die on their own because we could not produce evidence. And you have put the lonely in this family called the church. You have put the people that are gathered here and some at home in the local churches. But these local churches have become like freezer rooms where they bury, they put corpses, dead people. We have become so technical that we have forgotten what it means to passionately love one another, to forgive, to simply be there for one another. We have forgotten that we always say, let's imitate God as dear children. But how do we imitate God? For God so loved the world that he gave his begotten son. And this is love, God, that one lays his life for his friend. But we can't even lay down our lives for our very own blood and flesh because fear has gripped the church. The church has no evidence of the love of God that casts out fear, perfect love. So Father, I pray for us as a, as a local church that Remove this hypocrisy in our hearts. Remove this lukewarmness in our hearts. Remove this worldliness in us so we can truly be men and women of fire, of hope, of love, of compassion, of unity that people can look and say, there is God, they have a solution. So we thank you, Lord. And as we... I just want us to pray. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just want to pray for you. And in your heart, won't you just say, Lord, come into my life and save me. I want to be your child today. So, Father, I pray for whoever knows you whose heart has gone cold. Let the love of God burn again in our hearts, Lord. I pray for the one who does not know you, that today they'll find themselves at the place where they say, Jesus, come into my life. And I pray for those at home, men who could not come, that wherever they may be, whether they're experiencing sickness, unemployment, that any form of crisis and devastation, 
may you open their eyes afresh. May they hear a cry coming out of their hearts. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And may you touch their lives. I pray. Amen. Amen.